cliffcentral.com Good morning and welcome to another episode of Disrupt with myself and Bumin Tlapo. Um, we are very excited today. We have got a truly, truly, truly inspirational guest with us in the studio, Shamla Chetty from Duke CE, Duke Corporate Education. Shamla, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Uh, it's lovely to be here this morning. And I'm quite excited as well. Thank, Thank you. you. Shambla, you know, we were talking just before the show and I was saying to you that what we do here, we have conversations. Um, so it's not really about grilling you and having a lot of questions. It's just a discussion around disruption. And um, as I've said in the past, you know, um, disruption is not just about technology. It's not about the latest app. It's really about um, a different approach to business, a different approach to life, I guess. Um, and we bring our guests onto the show to have conversations around that topic. Um, and you are a very interesting person. You know, I read through your profile and, um, you started out with a career in human resources or human talent management, as they call it now. Can you maybe talk a little bit about your background? Yes. I started my career in banking, um, many, many years ago. About 28 years ago, um, very, you know, at a very grassroots level, learning everything about the business, uh, climbed the corporate ladder in terms of human capital, did everything by, in my last job was heading up leadership and human capital development, had a wonderful career at a large financial services institution where I learned a lot. Uh, in terms of what are the core capabilities do you actually need to have in terms of your toolkit, understanding what leadership development is all about. And I worked in this financial services organization with great leaders that helped me to actually unlearn and learn in this process as well. Wow, unlearn. Maybe can you elaborate a little bit about the unlearning? Well, a lot of times we get comfortable okay. in terms of what we do. I think, you know, we need to constantly unlearn to rediscover ourselves and to actually gain new insights, uh, to have the opportunity to create discomfort for you as a person. And this gives you the opportunity for development and growth. And in this large, you know, financial services organization, I had the opportunity to do a lot of that by experimenting, having, you know, failing, failing fast and getting up and actually, you know, continuing to do that. Okay. And, and you chose human resources as a career. What was the thinking at the time? I mean, probably you're still young then, but why did you choose that line of, of work? Well, I love people development. At that stage, you think about, wow, I want to change the world. As you know, in, for my bio, I'm an activist. So I care about the growth of people. I wanting to actually see, you know, the, I, I do understand the, 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 that the, the development of individuals, whether it's team organizations or has a big impact on a larger ecosystem. And I want to become a contributor to the development of skills and capability at a large scale. Okay. And then now, just in terms of you currently the global head for Europe and Africa for Duke CE. 
Yes. Can you just tell us a little bit, is Duke, like the Duke University we know um, globally, are they affiliated in any way? Can you just yes. maybe elaborate there? So Duke CE is um, part of Duke University. Uh, we have been, um, it comes out of the Fuqua Business School. So we are definitely owned by the university okay. and the, the, the Fuqua Business School. And the reason for the split from the business school to Duke CE was the a lot of times business schools run a lot of academic programs aligning to a curriculum. Okay. And we wanted to actually say that if we want to change and contribute to the skills and development or actually develop true leaders, what our society really requires, it cannot be aligned to a curriculum. It has to be based on customization. One size does not fit all. Uh, it has to be problem-centric versus, you know, uh, going on a particular part. You need to have the flexibility to adapt at any time based on where an organization's strategy is going, what the problems are, what are the key issues that organizations are facing, Versus for you know for going through a certain formula or a process, so your learning journey has to be typically very flexible. The second thing why Duke was formed was, you know, the world is changing rapidly. The types of people that Duke has as part of the faculty network, they have about three thousand five hundred. It's practitioners, okay. people that have worked and understand real challenges, people that have failed in businesses, people that can teach regarding, you know, what is failure about? How do you actually turn failure into an opportunity versus thinking about an academic model? Academic models can be downloaded, you know, via the internet right now. You can read a lot of content. So, you know, you really don't need to be sitting in a classroom. So, you know, it's about how do we simulate a classroom? Or how do we simulate a country? Uh, like, for instance, uh, we had virtual reality, you know, on a, on a, on a, uh, on a learning process a few days ago. And the, the, the participants had the opportunity to actually be in a country without actually traveling to a country. Ah, I hear you. But but just just before we, we got into that, but is there not still a space for the academic type of programs with, within this uh, learning journey? I think there's always a need for academic programs. There's always a need for, you know, but I, for me it is the most importantly, it is how do you get, you know, people ready back into the workplace? How do they apply these skills? How do they apply these skills to the community, to the society, instead of actually just reading a textbook and apply, not able to apply it back in the workplace? For us, it is about giving people the opportunity, the real-time experience just in time okay. and simulating a problem that people are facing Currently in the work environment. Okay, and and given that you know we we are really focusing on this topic of disruption, um, I want to just take a step back. I mean, have you always been someone who wanted to do things differently or to be disruptive? Obviously, positively disruptive. But given, I mean, you mentioned that you're an activist. Uh, you, I've read on your bio that you know you stand quite firmly and strongly for women uh, within leadership. Has this disruptive energy always been a part of your persona? 
Yes, I suppose this, you know, I love uh, being discomfortable, right? So it gives me the opportunity to grow and to unlearn. And I love being around young people as well, because this is where we learn the most from. True. They, they, they tell you exactly what we need to, you know, learn as well. Uh, what are the key challenges that are facing? And they really are curious and they are wanting to actually challenge you regarding or confront you with key issues. So I think your point is around, have I always been a challenge? My parents said, I've always been a challenge. (laughs) So as a kid growing up, I would always ask the tough questions. I would always take on the most difficult assignments in my career. I would actually like experimenting as well and, and, and doing things. So, you know, my grandmother always says that, I would create things when there was nothing to create, you know. I would imagine things when there's nothing to imagine, you know. So I had, you know, big dreams and I, I continued to try to do the best I can. And and how was that within um, the banking environment? How did that energy help you to come through the ranks to eventually become the head of? It was initially, it, it, you know, banking is very, you know, controlled in terms of how things must be done. And I think it is around the tenacity and the passion about your ideas and how you present your ideas. Initially, it was not easy, you know, like anything. Uh, it's been a tough journey and I, I didn't stop. I kept on knocking the doors. Kept on pushing the agendas, uh, talking about what we need to do, uh, coming up with new ideas. And sometimes these ideas didn't really work, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I actually then found other ideas and then found other examples that we could actually persuade. And I, you know, I worked with one of the greatest leaders in, in the bank and he actually was wonderful to create that opportunity or to create the environment to actually um, execute some of these ideas. Fantastic. Fantastic. And so now let's move back into the conversation around Duke CE. Um, in speaking to some of your, your colleagues, my understanding is that you focus on the corporate as much as you have programs for the individual. Can you maybe just elaborate a little bit on that in terms of how you approach your business of preparing these leaders? So I don't, so just to be clear, it's not only corporates. Okay. We do a lot of work in the communities. Okay. Right. So leadership or corporate education should not be focusing only on corporates. Uh, we have done work in rural development uh, programs where we have actually simulated um, en- environments with, in terms of uh, how they can actually do an enterprise development program where, you know, you could put your business case together. We have actually put Shark Tank as part of the process as well, where these women have the opportunity to present the ideas and, 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 and take the ideas back to the, to the work environment through what we call a trade show opportunity. So in terms of actually doing work, we do it at the corporate level, absolutely. But our role is also to help societies, to help communities uh, as well. Fantastic. And can you maybe then just explain how do you do, you you term it immersion. Um, Can you just take us through what is this immersion process and and what 
do companies experience or individuals, let me say, experience as part of that process? So it's a simulation. So we simulate a real time, you know, uh, environment. As an example, um, you know, we, uh, you know, we created uh, what we call Apollo to teach team work. Okay. Right. Apollo as in like the spaceship. Absolutely. Yes. yes. And we actually simulate the entire Apollo experience. And the whole thing is to work in, uh, you know, to work around agility, change, uh, teamwork, collaboration, and so forth. And in, and, and, and to give people the opportunity to experience what it is to work in that VUCA world. Okay. Right. So that's what we, we talk about simulations. Uh, simulations is, is part of the immersion experiences. We have multiple immersion experiences. What we normally do in a, in a, if we are building a learning program, we look at what the learning outcomes are and what types of simulations can we actually attach to this. We have a large toolkit of multiple simulations. We constantly work with uh, partners to build these simulations and our internal teams to build these simulations. And these simulations can change as well. Okay. You know, we have uh, one simulation where we had the at-court experience where we put on trial in a courtroom the, the company's strategy. Sure. Right. And, and, and that because in this particular company, they had some disagreement in what are the core components fitting into the strategy. But what we did was we said, let's put it on, on trial and let's debate the strategy on trial. Right. Instead, and let's do it more scientifically. And, and that actually helped this company to move into a new geography versus a, a country that they were planning to move into. Ah. And from what I understand, I mean, it's, it's very realistic what you're doing there. So if it's about a court, you actually create or find a real court to be able to operate. Yes, we have a judge. We have a a proper judge that actually proceeds over the case and so forth. So we have highly, so the types of, uh, you know, practitioners we have, you know, that are judges that, you know, that are linked to the core capability of building a program outcome. Okay. And, And how does that better prepare people to function within a disruptive world? You know, um, we know that right now technology is a key driver of business. Um, we know that it's become core to almost every decision we make in terms of where we take our businesses. How does then the work that you do help prepare these leaders and these organizations for this disruptive world? Well, I think the most important thing is giving them the skills and capabilities to actually apply it back into their workplaces. Okay. Or, you know, or to their businesses. It's important that we are custodians of helping people to succeed. So when we actually have them onto a program with us or a part of a learning journey or a process, we need to take responsibility that they can apply the learning back into the workplace. So it's not actually allowing people to come to a program for the sake of actually absorbing knowledge, but it's about actually embedding the application back so that they can apply the skills and capabilities. They can succeed in terms of what they're doing in terms of their business outcomes. Okay. And and do you feel it's a, an evolution that's required across the education spectrum? Well, I think the idea is about, you know, there's, as, as we talked about earlier, it's important to have the academic component. I think for, for where the education landscape needs to change, it's the practical application. You know, do we really need those models and those, you know, uh, theories and so forth? How do you practically apply those principles back? 
how do you embed those learning back into the DNA of that individual? What does, you know, a leadership model, how do you embed that leadership model for you? What does that mean for you versus reading about it or talking about it? You need to demonstrate what it means and apply it. And so, and I'm trying to kind of bring it back to, I mean, a level that you, you, you're more in the corporate. So after, but I'm talking now, you know, in terms of our education system. So young people coming into the tertiary education space and then moving through the ranks, maybe they do postgraduate studies. Is, is, is there still that strong need for that type of application at that level? Or is it something that should be reserved for, for later stages? No, I think it has to be, it has to start now. Okay. You know, we're wanting to change and give people the right skills. We often hear people getting out of, you know, universities and they don't have the skills to apply. You know, I often hear we do a lot of graduate programs. You know, so-and-so is has an A as a master's degree or has a degree. And, you know, I'm not too sure if we want them. And I'm saying, but if they have that, you know, knowledge, what are you we doing to actually upskill them? Okay. So, you know, it's giving them the opportunity, showing them about the application early on, getting them to involved in working with, you know, uh, job readiness, uh, readiness projects as well. Okay. Now let's take a step back. Your your um, involvement with Duke is in a global capacity. Yes. And um, you fulfill a role for Europe as well. How different are things um, in Europe from a you know, education, teaching and learning perspective in the context of this disruptive world that, that we live in? So disruption is actually happening everywhere in the world right now. Yes. And especially with the education field yes. right now, you're seeing a lot of online learning happening. You're seeing a lot of virtual reality learning happening. You're seeing a lot of gamification happening as well. You're seeing a lot of apps being developed as well where, you know, people can't travel the way they used to travel because of cost and so forth. So the notion around disruption, whether it's Europe, America, India, China, in all our offices and the types of clients, they all are experiencing the same issue uh, right now. For us, we, what we're seeing a lot around is design thinking okay. as a common friend. We're seeing that um, design thinking is a core capability around to create an innovative mindset, how are organizations embedding design thinking as part of the uh, workforce uh, planning and processes? How are they starting? We're seeing a lot of companies starting D schools as well. Duke has started the Duke D school okay. as well. So those types of things we're seeing are common across um, the, the world as well. Okay. And let's just explore a little bit more the, this design thinking. Um, is it something that can be taught academically or do you see that it's an area that requires a much more of this immersive type of learning it's it's highly immersive yeah it's highly immersive it's practical and what we have done is that uh, as part of our our process is that it's important that we build capacity in organizations as well so we start the process and we end the process to organization and allow them to create the D schools in their organization to create the design thinking processes in companies. In their well. companies, yeah. And then, uh, um, and I didn't get quite the clear answer, but Europe vis a vis Africa from a learning perspective. I mean, could we say we're ahead? Are we on par? Are we, are we doing things differently? So, 
Europe has always been, you know, you see the types, it's a mature market. Yes. So they would they would not do a lot of, um, you know, if you look at organizations that we are working with, they like a lot of deep, heavy customization. From a from a or from a courseware point of view. Yes. Okay. Um, they they are looking for very short, um, uh, you know, more virtual type of uh, innovation methods as well. Versus, uh, you know, they're wanting thought leadership via virtual, uh, you know, sessions. A lot of that is happening, where we still like to have a lot of classroom face to face type of sessions okay. happening here. And and is that a trend that you see is going to grow? Well, I think we're seeing now we're having uh, some of our clients asking us for more webinars, okay. much more webinars than we've had before. We've always had webinars, but we're having a lot of, you know, the numbers increased from where we, we used to be. And we're seeing that they're asking for a lot of thought leaders that are, are, are younger. Okay. And, uh, you know, that are, that are coming up with, you know, around uh, digitalization and disruption. Uh, we're seeing that a lot of work around fintech, Bitcoin in yes. banking. Yes. Uh, you know, who are the thought leaders coming out? So we're working with, you know, a lot of banks right now and giving them access to this types of thought leaders as well. Yes. And now, um, you know, the, the interesting thing, you know, every time I speak to a, a captain of industry, a leader, there's disruption in every industry. I mean, you've mentioned, you touched on, you know, the apps that are coming into your space, the virtual learning that's coming into your space. How are you preparing your own organization or shifting and pivoting your own organization to prepare for that? I mean, to, because like you said earlier, anybody can provide content online. I could become a, you know, a teacher, I guess, online, you know, YouTube videos or whatever. So we have a research team. Okay. You know, in that at a global level that really goes out and look out at what are the key trends that are shaping our industry. And and we then, they report out to us, these are the new trends, okay. uh, these are the new products out in the market, these are the new types of things we need to look out for, uh, or these are the startups that are developing XYZ. Okay. Right. In, in your in your field. In my field. Okay. This is who we need to partner with. This is the new type of uh, interventions that are coming out. This is how this is going to shape, you know, the executive education f- space. Uh, this is what we really need to be looking out there. So we have a team that has the eyes and the ears on the ground, you know, that are constantly looking out and finding new ideas for us. It means that they, you, you have to have a team that's doing this yes. all the time yes. and helping us to think about what, what's going out there. Yes. So I guess what you're saying is that it's not going to happen by chance. Yes. You, you need to be on top of it yes. on an ongoing basis. Otherwise, you're probably, there's someone else who's doing that work. I, you're absolutely correct. And I think we're lucky. We have the university. You know, Duke University is a big university. We yes. have the Fuqua Business School and as do corporate education as well. So we are able to draw the best thought leadership from the combine. Okay. But what about companies that don't have a university, you know, global university backing them? I mean, what do you tell your clients in terms of preparing themselves or engaging this world differently? Well, I think clients are 
doing a lot of more than you could imagine. They're really at the forefront. A lot of clients are actually wanting. They're curious. They're inquisitive. Uh, they know that margins are compressed. They understand uh, they need what the issues are in the ROE on the balance sheet. They know what they need to do. They they too are exploring and are creating acceleration hubs, innovation hubs. They're looking for opportunities too. If you look at right now, how many innovation hubs are being built Absolutely. at the moment? And these are giving, you know, entrepreneurs the opportunity to go in and companies are actually looking for new ideas. So I, I think there is a lot more that's out there than we imagine it to be. To be, yeah. Uh, we spoke a bit about Europe. Um, how about now the rest of Africa? Um, you do a lot of work. I think you're in 13 countries on the continent 17 17 countries on the continent so you have a good understanding of of the learning environment on the continent can you maybe just share with us um, your observations well it's wonderful working on the continent a lot of time it is quite a mature environment on the continent a lot of people say that wow you know nothing is actually happening on the continent you need to understand that there's a lot of the west uh, you know, in terms of the West Africa has gone to the U.S. and studied and have done really well. And a lot in West Africa, as, as a good example, you know, do have like multiple, when you sit around a the table, there's people that have multiple master's degrees, PhDs. Yes. You'd be surprised how amazing, uh, you know, they have a, t- a toolkit or a whole host of qualifications with with an individual. Same thing with East Africa as well, right? So there is quite a strong, mature uh, group of individuals regarding the, um, uh, with academic qualifications. Yeah. So it's not like you could say that, oh, you know, you're going to actually have a big market because there's nothing happening on the continent. A lot of people have studied abroad. From, from, from the continent. From the continent. Yes. And we are working with a lot of companies on the continent. And yes, there is a need to look at executive education. And the reason for that is that they're wanting to standardize. They're wanting to create a culture, right? Okay. And wanting to embed part of what leadership is in that particular organization. So whether we work in Nigeria or whether we work in Ghana or Kenya, it is making sure that these things stick to the DNA of a company. Okay. And the the type of work that you're doing, is it varied or would you say there's a common theme in terms of the majority of the work that, that you're doing? It's varied. Okay. So we do work at a top, at a senior level, at a leadership level, at very, you know, at the, just below C-suite. We do work at the, the middle management level as well as the graduate program. And we do a lot of advisory work as well, helping organizations to build the leadership architecture, the framework, the talent strategy and so forth. And it's also still very immersive. You still run those immersive programs. Absolutely. The immersive programs a lot. We do a lot of the amazing race. Um, you know, in terms of understanding, we do a lot of, uh, cultural work uh, on the continent as well. Because as you know, one size does not fit all. Absolutely. And one geography is very different from the other geography. A lot of times people think working on the continent, it's all the same. It's absolutely different. You know, from a French-speaking country to an English-speaking country, it's very different. From a Portuguese-speaking country, it's very different. I think it's there's a whole cultural thing that we need to be aware of and be mindful that it's an important 
capability. We talked about you need to be culturally adaptable working in different geographies as well. Yes. And and do you have like local representatives or is it mainly people from your head headquarters? We have about 450 people on the faculty network. We They actually help us in working in those geographies as well. Okay. So you do get that local yes. context and that local yeah. flair. Now, now, Shamla, um, disruption in your world, um, however you define it, how do you see it influencing the way that you will continue to do business into the future? I think we have to always keep our eyes open. Disruption is going to happen every second. Yeah. Right. You never know what type of disruption is going to happen in our field. So being constantly aware of it. Uh, being mindful that we need to disrupt and innovate and constantly look at uplifting our own game and not being able to think that, you know, because of our ranking, because of how, you know, who we are is do corporate education, um, and the work that we do in terms of the innovative methods, the experience, the type of capabilities, the thought leadership we have. We need to actually Make sure we're out there looking for new ideas, looking for ideas that are going to shape and continuously change what we're doing to improve the work that we're doing as well. And and for for young people, is it really still about a big emphasis on learning, but I guess maybe a different type of learning? Is that still a key ingredient? I think they want to experiment, right? Yeah. It's absolutely wanting to experiment. And they're wanting, if they experiment, they know, uh, you know, I was, I was working, I'm mentoring a young gentleman at the moment from Fitz. He's really smart. And uh, for him, it's about experimenting. And, uh, yeah, and he wants feedback just now. And he wants to get the, he wants to meet with you quite you know, immediately, yes. uh, there's no like, you know, you have a, you have to have a meeting. He wants to arrive, you know, with his ideas and he wants to present his ideas to you. And it's about actually the learning. It's about evolution. Yes. It's about making, operating at speed. For the young ones. For the young ones. Yeah. Right. And it's also failure is part of the process for them. They're getting, you know, getting the opportunity to fail a lot of times, right? And they're not afraid to fail, Absolutely. which is wonderful, yes. I think. And so we need to create environments that can help them through that. Absolutely. And, not, and maybe not even consider it to be failure, but it's like a learning process, if I can call it that. You know, I think about this young man, he said to me the other day, I have four businesses, Shamla, and he's a second year actuary student. Wow. Wow. Now, and is it only the reserve for the young, the millennials as they term them and so on and so forth? What about people that are well versed in business? They've been at it for 30, 40 years. I mean, what's there for them in this disruptive world? Well, I think it's now they too have to experiment, yeah. right? They too have to learn to fail. And failure is okay because it's part of disruption. Interesting. Right? It's, a, it's, a, it's, you know, in the world that, you know, that we've grown up in, failure is almost like, uh, it's a non-negotiable, like you can't fail. I mean, that's how we've been brought up. You know, you get good marks, you get a good job, I guess, and you just don't fail. And so to kind of, how do you then embed into someone that failure is part of the process? I think it's to create the confidence around it, okay. around it, and to not look at failure as a stick approach. 
Okay. Right. Okay. Because a lot of times, and, to, and also to build confidence around it, right? Uh-huh. And to motivate and inspire these youngsters to go on. Yes. You know, I often say to somebody, you know, you don't get it right this time. It's fine. I'm sure you're going to get it right the next time. But how do you do that for a senior manager or someone who's been in leadership for many years and they've always succeeded and things worked in a particular way and it was the, the, the chances for success were quite predictable? How do you? It's hard, right? I yeah. think all of us, it's pretty hard yeah. right? because you succeed and you succeed and you succeed and then you have one failure and you fall, o- fall <laughs> over, right? Yeah. And it sometimes takes a long time. It even happens. The reality is, has happened to me too. Yeah. When, you know, things have been going really well and then all of a sudden it doesn't work well and I think, oh, what should I have done like more about, you know, I'm not getting this right. I'm really struggling with this and it's tough. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess it's part of just accepting that in this world you need to move quickly and you need to be open. Absolutely. To you have to be open and you also have to give yourself a chance as well, right? Mm. It's just, I mean, I know I work with people that have been in the industry for a long time and that threat, I guess, or that thinking that there's all these young people with great ideas and they've never seen, you know, touchpad on a, you know, keypad on a phone or whatever, and they're going to take over the world. And and what I profess is that there's still a space, you know, there's still Absolutely. a space for wisdom, for experience, um, for an understanding. Um, but we need to harness that differently, I guess. You're absolutely correct. You know, there's a space for everybody. Yeah. I don't think it's, you know, just having one or the other. It's the collective that contributes to a rich ecosystem mm. and a society of learning or capability. And are you finding that you have more of the older generation coming back to renew their learning now that we have this VUCA world and all this disruption, disruptive forces coming into, into the workplace? Yeah, we're having what we're finding is that there's a, of course, there's always a need with us at a senior level and a junior level. For me, the interesting thing is to combine uh, I, you know, somebody at a junior level and a senior level, it's that reverse learning as well from each other. Okay. It's to put them in the same classroom together, right? Yes. And there's no threat about learning from each other. I think for me, that would be to say a senior executive or a CEO, how do you learn from a millennium or an entrepreneur? Within the same organization. Within the same organization. And you've seen that work? I haven't. We haven't had the opportunity to do that. But I think for us now, we're trying to create that space for that. Yes. Because, I mean, I think you'd find that it's like the executive committee training session Absolutely. reserved for them. And then it's the graduate program on the other extreme end. We have done it via what we call the action learning projects we have or business improvement projects. And it has worked really well in one particular company that we have seen huge business results okay. coming where they have combined uh, the cohorts, you know, in terms of different people uh, from the, uh, you know, the different levels to, to combine together and we've seen great results in this in this organization and we're thinking why could we not do that at at a you know with a at a programmatic process point of view as yeah, well yeah. and of course you know we have been talking to organizations around it and saying you know maybe we should actually start combining there are some programs that we combine where we do large summits and we combine people together but uh, there are some programs that are just very linear and organizations you need to break 
those orthodoxies absolutely and start mixing people and inviting different people into uh, the cohorts into the cohorts so you mentioned action learning what, what is action learning uh, what we do is in, at duke ce we have um, you know a lot of times they have a um, uh, uh, an organization may have a problem or a challenge and what we do is that we embed the challenge or the problem as part of the design of a program and we call that a business improvement project and we let the cohorts work on it okay right? i see and uh, we we work with them to actually embed some of the program um, key themes of the program but more importantly how does this align to the organizational strategy and that's what we look at action learning. Okay, so it's very targeted problem solving from a learning perspective, yes. basically. Okay. I want to jump now and just talk a little bit about you. Um, you mentioned very early on that you're an activist. Um, and I mean, that also could be a broad term. Um, in, what, when you say you're an activist, what were you referring to? So I, that's true. I, when I say I'm an activist, I could be an activist and almost, you know, a lot of things, right? <laughs> yes. Absolutely. So I used to be, I was expelled. Um, at an early age, at 16 from school. Oh, okay. Interesting. And, uh, that gave me the whole thing about, you know, failure quite early. Yes. Um, because one, you know, getting expelled from school, wow, that's in the eighties, it's been pretty tough, right? Yeah. You had to go back to school. And, and, and were, were you like, uh, the model student prior to that? Yes, I, I have been a good st- student. So this was a big thing. It's, it was a big thing. But more importantly, I think being my parents, I'm the first generation that, you know, have studied in yeah. my family. Okay. And they were looking forward to this, being expelled from school. Wow. You're never going to get to university. You're going to work in a factory. What's going to happen to <laughs> us? You know, that type of thing. And uh, I failed because, of course, you know, when you didn't, you got expelled, you failed. Yeah. And I remember my father saying, if you want a ticket to the game, you want to become an activist, you want to be a voice out there for people, you have to have an education. Wow. Right. So get your education and then you can become the voice. And that for me resonated to say that I have to work harder. I can, so the activism still stays in me because I do it through the people agenda. You said YHR. Yes. Um, I love working with people. It, I enjoy the development of whether it's individual society or community, uh, you know, whether it's a group of, you know, young girls working together with me on a project. I just enjoy it. And your activism around women? Um, Absolutely. So we're doing a lot of work on around uh, boardroom, okay. Women Leading Africa. Uh, you know, I've been the founding member of Women Leading Africa, a board program across the continent to increase the board representation of women. The the we have a lot of women initiatives at Duke, uh, women leading on the edge. Um, we we do programs for BMF, BWA as well. Uh, as well as uh, for corporate on women agendas. We also um, have partnerships with ORCA, the African Chartered uh, Association. So we do a lot of programs at the moment helping the to imp- help, helping to advance the women agenda. And are you seeing progress in that regard? Yeah, we're definitely seeing progress in this regard in terms of the skills and capability. But of course, we're not, 
there's more improvement has to be done at women at a senior level on board. Yeah, yeah. And and if we frame it now around the um, the topic of, you know, this VUCA world and, and this disruptive force, are there specific interventions around, you know, where do we see the next wave of entrepreneurial flair or disruptive flair coming from the collective being women? We're seeing the collective flair coming from women. Yeah. In terms so, so basically I'm saying, you know, given that, you know, we, we frame our conversation around disruption and that we're trying to tap into how do we prepare, I guess, women, you know, from, from the work that you do to function in that we, world. We're seeing women, a lot of more entrepreneurs as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, 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 we just did a cohort um, around 200 young women in women in entrepreneurship. Fantastic. Right. Wanting to start their own businesses. And uh, we created what we call the shark tank with this as well. Okay, you mentioned that, yes. And we saw the passion around women businesses, right? And and really the energy around I wanting to actually, I don't want to work for organizations as, as well. I wanting to, you know, give me the skills, give me the opportunity, and I want to do my own thing. Fantastic. Um, Shamla, now as we head to wrap up our discussion, um your views, your words that you share around um, the academic space or the learning space, let me call it that, and how organization can leverage learning um, to be more um, successful in a disruptive world. What would you share on that? I think my one advice would be is that open your minds to new ideas, right? That's the, the one thing by actually involving a bigger cohort of people into the discussion. Okay. Look for people that are different than you. Because a lot of times, organizations, they use a selection criteria to select people that look like them. Yes. Feel like them. And they expect to get the, if you want to get different results, go out and look for different people. Okay. Right. You find that organizations are not using assessment criterias anymore. Right. Uh, in terms of recruiting people, rethink about your practices and processes if you're wanting to disrupt. Then look for people that are so coming from different areas as well. You know, don't start selecting the same types of things you normally do. Yes. And the last thing I would say is that if you're wanting to innovate and rethink about your learning processes, don't think programmatic. Okay. If you're wanting to disrupt in terms of the learning process, thinking about how do you get involved in becoming the thought leader by leading the learning process, right? And asking people what would it look like to shape it versus prescribing a learning process. Can you elaborate on that a bit? Because that's quite intriguing. So to lead that learning process, what, what, what could that look like? Lead as teacher. Okay. Right. So to actually say that what are the things that actually pop should be part of this? How should this learning process ask the bigger, you know, cohort by saying that these are the elements that should form part of it versus the other way around? Versus a very prescriptive, yes. one dimensional, so, one directional yeah. learning process. And let the learning journeys be totally flowing the way you're wanting to, to flow. Don't let it be very curriculum based. But are the are, are learning institutions geared for that at this stage? Or? Well, they have to. 
They have to. They have to start getting because I think a lot of people have choices right now. So if you're wanting to learn about something, you can go online and you can access, you could actually register, you can get the credits onto it. Absolutely. Kels, on your side, um, some questions or comments for Shamla? I am just thrilled to have Shamla here, first of all. Um, uh, I think you, you've just covered everything um, that I've just been thinking about yeah. with regards to disruption in um, corporate education or education as a whole. Yeah. Um, because you go to varsity as a young person, you go to varsity, you're told to learn all these things that you don't even imply when you start working. So this is very interesting to know that you even like target the more junior kind of like participants in your, um, in your learnings. So it's really amazing. Yeah, I think, I mean, Shamla, the main thing is that what we're trying to do is to show that there's different dimensions to um, preparing yourself to function in this world. You know, um, I mentioned this earlier, but even today I got a text from someone saying, can I help them to build this app that they want to build? You know, because everyone has gone app crazy. Yeah. And what I find by and large is when I, when we start having conversations, even with companies and starting to explore, okay, you want to do this? really cool or wonderful innovative thing but how ready are you to function differently as a business you know um, whether it's the mindset or the people and how ready those people are and so i think um, hence i said are our institutions ready you know have they prepared themselves to teach differently so that people can learn or prepare themselves differently to learn because i know even today looking for my team you know looking for courseware the first thing i got was a brochure that said here's this course and it costs I don't know how many thousands of rands per person and it's running in a week's time for three days. And um, it's quite easy to fall into that trap because it's convenient, right? You know, um, I don't have to sit and work out a whole customized training course and do all that kind of stuff. So I think we do look to you as a leader in the industry to charge, you know, others to to really change the way that things are happening, even if it's a little bit. I think it can have a very big impact. Good, thank you. And so thank you for being with us on the show today. Um, we appreciate the time you've spent to us, and we look forward to having you back to share more stories about what's happening in the corporate education space. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Shamla. Thank you. Bye. So, Kels, um, just before we wrap up with Shamla, um, conversations going forward, um, what are we looking to touch on over the next few episodes? Um, I love today because it's more about education, which is something that we haven't done. We've done business, we've done entrepreneurship and stuff. Yes. Um, and I want to see us do more of like, um, digital disruptors. Yes. Um, because I think that's a space that you can really inspire people to think out loud and they don't really have to have massive budgets and things to kind of like tap into. Um, they just need an idea and then they need to really go mass and, and do it. So I'm looking forward to um, chatting to a few people that are in the space of digital entrepreneurship and being disruptive in that space. In that space, absolutely. Yeah. So we've got, I mean, I think we've got a couple of guests lined up um, around that, that perspective yes. around the, the digital disruption space. I mean, it's, it's an area that I personally come from, so I look forward to those <laughs> conversations. And also just to touch back on education, like um, Shamla also spoke about um, digital learnings, you know. Yeah. Um, I know there's another gentleman who recently, he was selling an app around, um, I think it's called Funda. But he couldn't even sell it. But he ended up doing such a great thing where he supplies it for free. And now he has all these major companies that are actually like 
you know, supporting his business. Wow. So he supplied it for free for certain countries in Africa. And now he's actually not just creating an impact disruptively, but he's also like making money out of it. Amazing. So there's, it's, it's, that's why I'm so interested in that space because I think people don't really, um, tap into it. They think it's this, you know, scary world, but it's actually not. It's not a scary world at all. Thank you, uh, Shamla, once again, for joining us. Thank you to Kels, our producer. Um, I think we're done for today. Uh, thank you for coming on board with us on uh, Disrupt with Mpumi Tlapo. Please join us next week, same time, and we'll have another wonderful guest in studio to talk some more about disruption and how it's really impacting our world today. Have a wonderful day. Thank you.